Welcome back. Welcome to this bonus episode of Sound Opinions. We have so much music that we can never get to on the regular show. So that's why we created this bonus podcast, to indulge our music fetish even more. We could probably do it every day, <laughs> but I think we drive uh, Alex, Andrew, and Soul crazy. Absolutely. And uh, we do love uh, our, our listeners. If you want to support Sound Opinions in a big way, you can get these bonus podcasts early on Patreon just like Jeffrey Crean, one of our most loyal listeners. Thanks for your support, Jeffrey. And Jim, this week you've got an interview for us, right? Who did you talk to? I talked to the uh, incredible artist Steve Keen. Um, Greg, generally speaking, we've avoided talking to album cover artists because, uh, well, you know, it's, it's an audio show, right? Yeah. <laughs> right? right? I mean, the only exception we made was years ago, decades ago now, uh, when we talked to the guys from Hypnosis, You're right, you know, right. the Pink Floyd guys. Um, but I think Steve Keen has been such a presence on the indie rock underground, as well as a fine artist, mm. that we just had to talk about the Steve Keen art book, the first beautifully printed collection of his work. Uh, plus, uh, it was put out by Hatton Beard Press, our old friend from Chicago, J.C. Gable. Right. And you know how hard it is to say no to J.C. <laughs> so I said, okay, I'll talk, man. I'll talk to Steve. And Steve just had wonderful stories. And he's an inspiring story. He does his work. He buys a hundred sheets of four by eight plywood at a time and chops them up. And those are his canvases. He estimated that as of last year, he has sold or given away, and he gives away as many paintings as he sells, 300,000 paintings, as well as uh, uh, artwork that's appeared on the cover of Pavement Records, Silver Jews, um, uh, the Elephant Six bands, right? Mm -hmm. We had just done the Elephant Six interview. Uh, his stuff is just amazing. You know, he's shown in England, Germany, and Australia. He's on display at several of the great chefs, uh, David Chang's restaurants, mm -hmm. right? And if, if he strikes you as an interesting person and you see him, he'll give you one. <laughs> I just love that spirit. Your enthusiasm is infectious, Jim. I cannot wait to hear this interview. We're going to be back with that in a minute on Sound Opinions. I'm honored to talk to Steve Keen because you have been such a part of music history over the last couple of decades, and this new book, the Steve Keen Art Book, <laughs> is uh, is a great accomplishment. So welcome, Steve. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, you know, you've been such a part of our lives, uh, and I I don't think visually. I'm an audio person, right? That that I don't even think I realized all of your contributions. I knew the artwork. I didn't put it with your name until really digging deep into uh, this book that collects uh, the work you've done uh, for album covers and other work. Um, and uh, I think it's a great story. How did you, you started like, like all of us did as a college radio DJ, <laughs> indulging your passions, right? In Charlottesville, Virginia? Yeah, my wife and I were on the radio station for about four years, about 30 years ago. And I, I've always been an artist. I went to art school. I did everything, you know, like you're supposed to do. The first time I came, became really excited about what I should do with my art happened when we were on the radio station, just seeing the thousands of albums. I don't know if you go to a radio station now, if there's any albums or anything. No, used to be. And they used to all have stickers, right, Steve? Where all the DJs in between playing songs would, would write their thoughts of, about the album. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sometimes you'd write bad things about it yeah. and people would rip off the sticker. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that, that, that world of being in a basement around 
tens of thousands of albums, you know, from the late 50s till, you know, the Nirvana record came out. You were like on another planet. You mm. saw you were surrounded by hundreds of thousands of other people's dreams. Yeah. Most were forgotten. Some some remained. And I wanted to kind of make my art kind of almost like a tribute to seeing that stuff in the basement. Mm -hmm. And I've been doing that for about 30 years. Yeah, and you capture that spirit, that spirit of independence and that spirit of discovery uh, and uh, of coloring outside the lines. A very unique style. How did that develop? Now, you said, you know, I went, did all the things I was supposed to do, went to art school. You, you got an MFA from Yale. <laughs> yeah, you know. I was there at the right time, you know. Yeah, I gotcha, I gotcha. Always um, beware the people who brag about those credentials, but it's just yeah, it's part yeah. of your... You're prouder of the fact that you have sold or given away 300,000 pieces of art. Yeah, I, I didn't plan on having this, you know, to be the way I work, but I would paint these pictures, and I would go to a bar where my friends would be playing. I'd bring 100 pictures, I'd... I'd charge like two for five dollars so i wouldn't you know hopefully people would buy them so i wouldn't have to bring them home yeah then i got enough you know enough money to buy paint and and food for the next day and it just kind of stuck because lots of different kinds of people appreciated what i was doing from you know skateboard kids to art history teachers and it it made me made me believe you know, to this day that there's so many more ways of thinking about something as, you know, regular as a painting, like, you know, people buy a painting and they hang it in their living room or their guest bedroom or something like that. And I wanted my work to feel like um, anybody could own it, but it was still good art. And I mm -hmm. wanted it to be like fun, the way to buy it. So if you make it cheap, People think, well, I better buy it now. I might lose money if I don't buy it. And, you know, it create, I created these situations, these events, where there'd be a few hundred people coming at once to buy it. And, it, you know, it was, you know, a, a fun situation, like, you know, like a happening, like an event. I, I love this idea of democratizing the often all-too-snooty art world you know i mean we we read about uh, you know art basil and these things you know what i mean and you're doing it the way the punk band is i, I got some canvases in the back of the van i got some yeah. t-shirts <laughs> yeah yeah i mean that's what inspired me you, you know the art world i've got nothing against the art world there's many times that i'm included in art world events and that's great but i kind of walk on the other side where it's sort of like you know, the guys in the band drive for seven hours and they do a show for seven people and they, you know, they're lucky if they sell seven CDs right, and they, right. they're satisfied. And I thought that was the greatest. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us, so you, you became friends uh, with David Berman. Does that lead to your first album cover? What was your yeah. first? Yeah, I did a EP for him, the Silver Jews in... Um, yeah, in, in 93. Yeah. yeah, David was also on the radio station at in Charlottesville. And um, we worked at the same restaurants together. We were like half the people in pavement seemed like they washed dishes at this restaurant. <laughs> and, um, you know, it, those were really fun times. And we all kind of moved to New York around the same time. 
So yeah, I knew those guys back then. And and then you do uh, pavement covers. Um, um, what was the reception like? Did you get much feedback? I mean, everybody's talking about the music, but what what did you hear as an artist? I don't know. That's a good question. I try to keep my head down because you're just so lucky to be invited to be, you know, part of their world that you don't want to jinx it. So you just kind of, you know, you're just part of the scene and you're supportive and you're just kind of don't right, right. think, don't overthink it. Right, right. Or as we would say <laughs> in Jersey in those days, uh, you don't think who you are. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's on the cover. Maybe their record's going to sell a couple thousand. Right? Um, you know, it's it's fascinating to me because uh, Silver Jews and Pavement have this sort of shambolic, there's a great rock critic word, uh, feel to their music, and, and so does your art. And then you link up with the Elephant Six uh, bands, all right? And it also highlights, you know, they have a, uh, they, they had, and I covered those bands from the beginning, a sort of, childlike um, wonder at the joys. I mean, they start as DJs too, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. Rust in Louisiana, yeah. everybody goes home from the yeah. technical school. They're playing Hawkwind and Kraftwerk all night um, and, and Pink Floyd. And, and, and this, this, <laughs> That's this, what I did. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, this, this sense of, of discovery, the, the uh, childlike wonder that is part of the psychedelic experience. I'm going to be like the five-year-old who is discovering finger paint for the first time, right? And you capture that, and it's so perfectly, after so perfectly meshing your style with Silver Jews and Pavement, it, it perfectly meshes with Elephant Six. Um, I've always felt that I wanted my art to be useful, to be utilitarian, to be something um, simple and complex. It's complex if if you can use it, and it's simple if you don't need it. But um, I think I think it was. I didn't want to be so specific with my work. I wanted to keep it open ended and almost make them feel like they were trading cards, like people could like use them and make their own thing out of them. They were weren't already something finished and final and presented in a certain way. They were just something that people could find in a record store or in a car or at somebody's house. And then they could take them and the, then they decided that they could do something different with them. You know, make take 10 of the images and put them together to make a, you know, a product wrapper or something like mm. that. I just, I, I wanted it to be um, useful. How did, how did you meet the Elephant Six people? Uh, Robert called me up and he said he saw my art at a friend's house. Robert Schneider, Apples and Stereo. Yeah. The master yeah. producer, the Brian Eno of that crew. Yeah, really, it's wild. It's, you know, it's back in the, you know, when we're living these things, you know these people are special, but then it's like people are still talking about these people, you yeah. know, 25, 30 years, and it's really, it's moving that, I was part of those times. Yeah. Well, and it's wonderful to see you did, did the cover art for Adam Clare's book. We recently did a long chat with him about the Elephant Six uh, mysteries, as he calls yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then that leads to meeting the others, yeah? They were inseparable then. If you yeah. meet one, you meet them all. <laughs> <laughs> and it was hard. You know, they're recording constantly, yeah. just like you are painting constantly. <laughs> and what winds up on whose record remains to be seen. There's no hang-ups about it. Um. 
you know, the, the, uh, I teach review in the arts uh, at Columbia College in Chicago. And, and, you know, when we talk about fine art as opposed to movies and video games and, and, and music, um, you know, there's always that element of commerce. And there's that wonderful 60 Minutes uh, uh, clip that they did about the absurdity of pricing in the art world years ago now. And, you know, Mike Wallace stands in front of a Basquiat with uh, a bunch of young black school children from from the Bronx, right? You know, and he says to them, you know, what is what do you think of that? And and they all say, I can do better, right? Which Wallace uh, uses to posit Basquiat as a poser, right? But to me, yeah. I think it is the most beautiful punk rock moment. You know, to say to this young child, you know, uh, the art says to this young child, I can do that. Well, that's what we've always done in punk rock, right? Patti Smith, this is the era where everybody creates. Sure. It's like you see it and it's it becomes a gateway. It's like, you know, I think when they said I can do that, I mean, I think it, it does imply that I feel included to participate that maybe I could make that also. You yeah. know, not just like I could do like anybody, not like anybody could do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's fascinating when we look at your career. Um, you are shown in museums. You have been part of exhibits around the world. And every once in a while, I see profiles of up-and-coming or veteran indie artists, you know, putting out a new album, and they're sitting in their living room, and the guitar's there, the cat's there, there's the, there's the Steve Keen painting on the back wall. <laughs> you know, high and low, always. Now, I, um, my, my audience for like about the first 10 years doing this was really, you know, friends of mine who were in bands and they bought them and they passed them out to other people or I gave them buckets of the paintings to give them to friends. And now it's like the people that know about me know about me and they buy my work. But it really, it started off being, you know, like another band kind of like, a, you know, like a, something from the merch table, like just yeah, yeah. like a, like a, a shirt that you don't wash. Yeah. <laughs> or the, and, and that you wind up wearing until it literally falls <laughs> apart. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to wash it. <laughs> Your paintings don't self-destruct, though. That's good. <laughs> no. It's pretty sturdy. How did the book come about? I know uh, Daniel Ephraim was uh, key. Yeah, it's, uh, it started off at, he got, he got me a show with um, Shepard Ferry. Yeah. In Los Angeles uh, six years ago. And I, did a ton of paintings for the show and he started Dan started photographing you know I think he photographed everything that I brought for the show like at least 500 pictures and um you know he just sort of sat on them for a couple of years then he had this idea you know maybe I can really do something you know this is like might turn out to be a story and it is the only thing that I I can kind of it's not bragging but it's it is a wild existence because I don't think people really know how how many paintings I've ever made. I mean, to to know what it means to make, you know, three hundred thousand paintings. Yeah. You know, maybe like one thousandth of the paintings are in the book because you know I crank out a couple hundred a week and then I wrap them up for UPS and they go out to everybody everybody around the country, and so I hardly get to see what I do and I don't really photograph them as much as I should. Mm. And, you know, it's sort of like him putting together all this information. It's like, wow, this is, 
this is kind of wild how I've been doing this for so long and how they've been dispersed all over the country and in Europe and Australia. And, um, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's a little bittersweet because I'm not dead yet. You know, I want right, to just right, get right, started, right. you know, but it's very nostalgic looking back at the book, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, there's always that damage. I wrote a book about a friend of mine who, who did miniatures and, uh, you know, we wanted to do a catalog raisonné, right? You know, and he's like, and he, yeah, that, that, I'm not dead yet. <laughs> I'm going to keep going, right? But you're sitting uh, in, in, I guess, your workshop, right? You know, uh, famously, there was a piece, uh, I guess, in time, right? A hundred sheets of four by eight plywood and at least five gallons of paint a week. You'd said you use, and there indeed is the four foot stack of uh, four by eight plywood. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, we live with it. We live with my art. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it, I, it much takes, different way than other people do. Yeah. I, I'm not surprised you want to get it out the door <laughs> in UPS, right? Because there's only room for so much. Yeah, yeah. How do you think your styles changed over the years? I try not to have a change because, but, um, it's for doing this for 30 years, you know, change isn't, you know, you do change, but um, there's certain time periods where I really love what I do. And then I, then I think, Oh, the other stuff is not as good as those years. And then two years later, it's like, Hey, those years were really good. <laughs> better than, but there, but I don't try to change. I try, I try to keep it consistent. Whenever I try to have like fancy ideas, then I run into trouble. Hmm. I just try to remain like true to my original craft doing it and my original intent. Yeah. And it doesn't, it doesn't get old, Steve. No, because for me, the newness of it are the new events that I get to show them at the new yeah. sort of way I get to install the work, things like that. It's always different. The work is sort of like, um, the work is the work, but that's just part of it to me creating a, an event. Mm-hmm is what's what's fun like yeah, just last like month you I, started out yeah <laughs> yeah 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 it always breaks my heart when i talk to artists in 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 all sorts of different uh uh mediums you know when they just say oh it's 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 not the same for me anymore i've lost the spark and i'm like wow but if i could do what you do i would i would enjoy every minute of it yeah they're just going through a rough patch because yeah, they're gonna has one yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right what's the last album cover you did Oh, gosh. Maybe we haven't um, even seen it yet. Yeah, I haven't done anything lately. A lot of people ask me mm. to do album covers, and I, um, it's it's not something that I I kind of do unless I'm friends with the people. Mm. Unless there's like, I don't know, unless, unless there's a, I don't know. I don't really do it unless people, they're friends of mine, or it's like a really, or I'm really in love with the music. Okay. All right. Did, so you've loved all the... I mean, you did do a Dave Matthews poster. I've done a lot of Dave Matthews posters. And Dave Matthews is like the king of Virginia. He's an amazing, amazing story, what that was all about. Yeah. Unbelievable. I was there when it just came from, from nothing to conquered America. It's incredible. Well, I've always said that the Dave Matthews um, ethos, uh, the way they've approached the business... Coloring outside the lines, right? Uh, not being part of that, uh, you know, Live Nation, Ticketmaster, major label. I mean, they've always done things their own way. It's very laudable. Um, but I'd, I'd rather drink acid than listen to a Matthews record. 
Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. a, show, a show about rock criticism, Steve. I'm sorry. It's true. It's true. Life's complicated. But um, the whole phenomenon was fascinating. Yes. To, you know, like I, it was part of our life. It's like, yeah. you know, like I used to work in a restaurant with Dave Matthews' sister, Jane okay. Matthews, yeah. and my wife like worked in the restaurant with Dave Matthews, was a bartender and, you know, it was, and the, and two other guys in the band. It was just like, it was such an insane yeah, time. Yeah. So I think of, I think of those times. I gotcha. I gotcha. Thank <laughs> you, uh, Steve Keenan. And, and this is a wonderful book. Uh, thank you to Daniel Ephraim for making it possible. And, and the fine folks at Hat and Beer and everybody's putting his, it, it's a real keeper. It's a, it's a work of art itself. Thank you. Thank you. And that is it for this bonus episode. To support Sound Opinions, become a member on Patreon, and connect with other listeners in our Facebook group. Sound Opinions is produced by Andrew Gill, Alex Claymore, and our associate producer, Sol Delgadillo. Our social media consultants, Katie Cott. Thanks for listening.